Sherry Garcia was trying to help so many men and women get back on their feet after incarceration and addiction. But eventually she realized the person she needed to help the most was herself. One Christmas, she gave herself the gift of sobriety. And since then, her story and her company, Cornbread Hustle, have helped so many people get a new lease on life. Come on, let's do a background check on Sherry Garcia. Let's go! Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It, sh it should pay you back. This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and, and not be afraid to say, go, go ahead, check my background. My name is Jaden Gum, and this is Background Check. You already know. Let's go. You can check my background. I'm a forgiving felon, so tell them that I won't back down now. You can bet I won't live in regret. It's time to earn some respect. You are tuning in to Background Check. Hey everyone, welcome to Background Check Podcast, presented by Forgiven Felons, helping people with the past realize their future. I'm your host, J. Dan Gum. If you'd like to know more about Forgiven Felons and what we do, please visit us on the web at forgivenfelons.org, especially if you or someone you know has a loved one in prison or who needs a transitional house to parole to. Also, if you'd like to know more about the resource center that we are building, check out the current plans page on the website. So what is Background Check Podcast all about? Well, nowadays everyone wants to run a background check to see what negative stuff is in your past so they can hold it against you as you try to move forward. They want to do a, a, a credit background check, a criminal background check uh, for where you live and getting a loan and all this stuff. When I was engaged to my wife, the apartments did a background check and that almost kept me from uh, my, my wife and I who's never been in trouble from moving forward and are finding a place to live to start our marriage together. Well, here at Background Check Podcast, we want to look at the backgrounds of people, but for a positive reason. And that is to, yes, show that there may be some, um, some negative stuff in your background, but show how far you've come and how you've risen above your past to show where you are now. And what that does, that, that gives hope to so many people out there wondering if they can ever turn their own life around. Now, most of the guests on the show do have some negative stuff in their past, like me, but it doesn't define who they are now. They've risen above that background and have made something of their lives. Sometimes uh, we have other people on the show, like judges, lawyers, recovery center directors. But today we have a very special lady. I met her about four years ago. She came to Forgive Felons to see what we do and how we help felons. She was already involved in, a, in another prison organization, and, but she wanted to do more on the outside. So she started working on, on the idea called Cornbread Hustle. Her story inspires so many people, myself included, and has been uh, highlighted in articles and news stories everywhere. She's even been uh, featured on the Steve Harvey Show. So it's an honor to know her, and I'm excited for you to hear the whole interview. So let's get to the show now. Cherry Garcia. Hey. One of my favorite flavors of Ben and Jerry's ice cream. <laughs> Welcome to Background Check Podcast. Hey, thank you so much. I'm so honored to be on this show with you. It's It's been several years since you came to Forgiven Felons to just ask about what we did. And um, you were interested. I think you were doing some sort of, um, uh, I don't know if it was PEP. You had been involved with going into prisons and, and you were really interested 
at that point and doing some bigger things of your own. And I think, I think that might have been when the cornbread hustle kind of idea started growing roots in your heart. Um, but before we start, I want you to tell us who you are now, what you got going on now. Tell us what cornbread hustle is, and then uh, and then after all that, we'll get back into how you got there. Great, right. yes. So I'm Sherry Garcia, the founder of Cornbread Hustle. Cornbread Hustle is a staffing agency for second chances, meaning we help people coming out of alcohol or drug addiction or people coming out of prison find meaningful employment. What does meaningful employment even mean? Basically, what we do is we work with every single person one-on-one to understand their real goals, their long-term goals. I was involved with the prison entrepreneurship program. I was a volunteer with them. And to see people's eyes light up when they were in prison talking about their goals and their dreams and the businesses they wanted to start, I just didn't want to lose that fire. Knowing what the realities are of getting out of prison, which is uh, I need to get a job and get my driver's license. I have a bus ticket and 50 bucks. I knew that it was important to get the job, the entry level job. But I still didn't want our applicants to lose hope of what their long-term goals were. So one by one, four years ago when I started this company, I started Googling different places that were jobs like the businesses people coming out of prison wanted to start. One guy came out and said, hey, I'm really great at painting. I want to paint murals. I want to own my own company doing that. And I was like, great, let's find a company that paints murals. And so I reached out to that company literally pitched this guy. I said, hey, I'm sitting next to a guy who is amazing. His work will blow your mind. He's willing to work for $10 an hour despite his talents. Here, here's some of his work. Check it out. Like I'm, I'm selling this guy. I said, there's one catch. He just spent 20 years in prison and he just got out. But if you're willing to interview him, I will come to the interview with him and we can meet at a Starbucks. He got the job. Fast forward, that same guy does make six figures today. Hmm. So that was four years ago. Um, But I'll tell you, when I started this company, I was not right with the Lord and I was not sober. I still was drinking despite getting clean from meth, right? Because I got addicted to meth in high school, got clean from meth, became successful to me, it was success. I got in the newsroom and I started working with um, some really successful people. So I felt like, hey, I beat meth and I became an entrepreneur. So let me help people in prison become entrepreneurs or find meaningful employment. Let me find people just like me. And um, I did find people just like me. The problem was I didn't know how to lead them to become the person God created me to be, which is a a God-fearing person. So I know you've talked about it before, being a little over two years now. So tell us about what happened in December of 2018. What, What changed your life? What changed your direction? So I had owned Cornbread Hustle for two years at that point. We are, And how was it going? I, yeah, we had a negative bank account. I was basically living out of my car. You know, at the end of the day, when I say I was homeless, I, I wasn't living under a bridge. Don't picture me as that homeless person that you think of when you drive up the street and see someone on a corner. I was homeless in the sense of I didn't have a place to call home. I was living with an amazing family that took me in. Um, I was about to lose my car. It was about to get repoed. All while 
being a motivational speaker. Like I was on the Steve Harvey show. Yeah, I remember you that. You know, and I did have some successes. I did have my ups and downs. And, you know, right before I had hit that bottom, I was living in a high rise and I made really good money and I did PR on the side. So when I talk about my bottom and having a negative bank account, it wasn't because every single day I just sat around and drank. I was still a very ambitious entrepreneur that went after what I wanted. But because I lacked consistency and discipline due to the drinking, the um, four days sober, three days binging, four days sober, three days binging, I just could never, I couldn't outrun myself. So yeah, I woke up on Christmas morning uh, on December of 2018 and I just decided to give myself the gift of sobriety. Now, I did not think that I was going to stay sober. It was just another one of those promises to myself that I planned on breaking. Um, And I don't know. New Year's Eve comes around. I'm struggling to stay sober because at that point I had a full seven days under my belt. And if anybody who has struggled with alcoholism that's listening to this, seven days is a long time. I was always able to get four days under my belt. But then on that four, like Sunday, hungover, Monday, feeling better, Tuesday, feeling great. I can take over the world. Wednesday, I'm productive. AF. And then uh, Thursday, you know, it's time to unwind. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Celebrate Uh, your victories. (laughs) Yeah, celebrate your victories. Let's set all this on fire. So, um, yeah, on, on New Year's Eve, usually as an alcoholic, I never drank on New Year's Eve because I felt like it was for amateurs. And I always wanted to start the new year with good intentions. This time, since I had gone seven days without drinking, I did not want to stay sober on New Year's Eve. This time I was struggling. So I, um, I was just driving around aimlessly and trying to avoid the bars, the liquors. I was literally gripping my steering wheel looking at every gas station, every bar. And I just said, I need to make a plan. Now I had no program. I had no sponsor, but it was God leading me. I knew I had to make a plan. And my plan was I'm going to go to church, which it blew my mind that they even had church services on New Year's Eve. Like who goes to church on (laughs) New Year's Eve? I, I was like, I'm going to be the only person in Lots there. Lots of people do. Oh, my God. Well, that's when they get the new word for the new year. Yep. Well, yes. I I learned that. I was <laughs> like, what's this word? <laughs> I, I did not understand. Man, I remember the word. You wouldn't believe it. That night at church, they were talking about second chances, too. It blew my mind. Um, and I can't remember what the word was, but I it had something to do with second chances, wow. you know. And I pull up, and my whole goal that night was go to church and go to a movie. I wanted to make sure that I was busy until like right, midnight. Right, right, so right, right. 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. is church, and then 10 p.m. To, no- to midnight is a movie. I pull into the parking lot at the church, and I am blown away that the, the parking lot is full of cars. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I remember vividly feeling a wave of depression and sadness that this is going to be my new life, hanging out with lame people that Mm. go to church on New Year's Eve. And I walk in. At this point, it's not that I didn't believe in God. I just 
didn't believe in the people who went to church. Right. And I... Who can be very crazy oh my and weird gosh. sometimes. Trust me, my faith has wavered since I've entered into this way of life. So I, these people were raising their hands up while listening to the worship music. That's another thing that I did not comprehend back then. I, when I did go to church, I went just for a word of inspiration. So I'd skip the first 30 minutes and just show up for the word. I'd never understood worship or why people like it just, it, right. it didn't comprehend. So I'm thinking, wow, these people really, really, really hope that there's an afterlife. So much so that they're reaching their hands in the air. (laughs) I just thought they're crazy, you know. And then the pastor starts talking about money. And, you know, it was a church where they were talking a lot about money. Now that I'm a true believer and I'm in the word, I'm like, okay, yeah, there is something wrong there. But the pastor was talking about money and I was like, oh, yeah, of course. And now he wants our money. Let's pass (laughs) around the basket. But God will work in any environment yeah. to get to you. Yeah. And that Come Alive Dry Bones song came on. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, I'm dead. Like, I'm dead. When Whenever they were telling the story about the bones rattling and coming back to life and muscles and flesh being formed, I did not have a hope of living again. I did not sense any of that. There was no hope. There was no joy, no desire. But what I did have was an awareness that I was not alive Hmm. and that I was dead. Wow. Tears streamed down my face. The pastor out of nowhere comes on the stage and says, my wife is going to kill me. My staff is going to kill me, but something just spoke to me and I'm going to make it happen right now on the spot. We're going to do this same thing every night for seven nights. We're going to worship for seven nights straight. And I thought to myself, seven nights to go to church? And then the next thought that I had immediately was, that'll be two weeks sober. So I went every night for seven nights. And uh, I, I, it felt like the gripping the steering wheel and sweating, um, trying not to drink had lifted out of nowhere. And I was standing in my mirror doing my hair and makeup, getting ready for work one morning. And the thought that I haven't struggled in a couple of days passed through my mind. And I was like, is that you, God? You know? And uh, I was like, nah. And somebody had just bought me a Bible the night before. And it was downstairs on my counter. I, I looked in the mirror and I said, you need a drink. I told myself, you need a drink. I thought I was hearing voices. I even Googled like late withdrawal symptoms of wow, like alcoholism because yeah, yeah. I was hearing voices. And um, a voice came in my mind that said, you need to look in your Bible. And I was like, no, (laughs) (laughs) because I thought I'm going crazy. My light started to flicker and that freaked me out. And I still didn't believe, I I just thought I was crazy. I'm like, God, this is so stupid, but I'm going to walk downstairs and I'm going to open this Bible. So I said, God, if you're listening, if you exist, I'm going to open this Bible. And I did the whole new believer point in the Bible, whatever I land on is what you're telling me. (laughs) So I said, I'm going to point and whatever I land on, if, if it's, if it's what I think you're trying to tell me, then I'm going to do it. And I usually get so emotional every time I tell this story. So I'm going to try not to. I pointed and I looked down whenever I pointed in the Bible, and it was Proverbs 20, and it said, Wine is a mocker, mm. it is a brawler, and he who is led by it is astray. Wow. 
And I cry every time because one, it was like, wow, God, like really, like even though I like was like, get away from me, get away from me. He chased me, number one. But number two, I think I cry more so not because of the miracle. I cry because of how sad I was to have to break up with alcohol Mm, in that moment. Like in that moment, it was confirmed that there was a higher power that I needed to fear because he sees me. Like there was nobody else I had to impress. It was like there was I couldn't lie anymore. I couldn't lie to the invisible eyeballs who said, I see you. So I threw the Bible against the wall and started bawling my head off. And that's when I decided I was going to stop drinking. Not on Christmas morning, but that's when. Fast forward, four months later, five months later, I was basically suicidal. And that's that's when I walked into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and said, I need help. I'm five months sober, but I need help. And so here I am today, now finally living a joyous, free life in recovery I have my ups and my downs. I have depression. I have all of that stuff and anxiety. But now I actually enjoy living in recovery and I do show up to worship. That's awesome. <laughs> awesome. So, uh, man, what a great story. Thank and you. I love how God cares about the details that we need to know he cares about, mm-hmm. you know, and and even some of the most seasoned Christians every once in a while will still do the point to the uh, verse and you know I'm giving myself up right now but sometimes you know you're just like no I don't want it I don't want it to be I want it to be random and you know and sometimes God still speaks through that Mm -hmm. and so uh, I love that story what's been you said you were suicidal even four or five months after uh, depression what's been the most challenging part of your recovery the most challenging part of my recovery is the same challenging part of my sobriety when I got off meth. And it's not the actual quitting. It's facing what you've messed up and working through the crap while staying sober. You no longer have your coping mechanism of an escape to avoid the problems that you created. Like, there's no more hiding. There's no right. more running. You're getting honest with yourself. Whenever I was drinking, again, remember, we had huge, amazing wins at Cornbread Hustle and in my entrepreneurial life that I could drink and celebrate. But even during the lows, like the days I lost a client or I did something stupid, I was able to just drink it away and say, oh, well, there's no oh, wells when you're in recovery and you're living like you're living in recovery and working a program. You have no choice but to be honest with yourself and God. So um, that's the hardest thing. And I think the the other hard part, which is just as equally hard, I can't say one's harder than the other, is for me, I had the people-pleasing issue because I seek so much outside validation because I had all this self-doubt. I really didn't know who I was in Christ, and I'm still trying to learn who I am in Christ. And it's taken me all the way up until now, the whole two years of trying to understand why I had to walk away from certain relationships or feeling all this guilt of backing away from certain people in my life and feeling like I was a traitor or not loyal or a bad person. And there are people, I come from a very sick background, so I hung out with sick people. So there are sick people that will make you feel terrible. Yeah. 
for moving on and bettering yourself. And then you start thinking to yourself, am I worth it? Do I deserve a better life? Maybe they're right. Maybe I should water myself down to still stay in this crowd of people because I don't deserve to move on and they need me, right? So the whole codependency yeah, yeah, yeah. thing, that was the that was the hardest thing for me. What what have you found that helps you the most? What what is the one thing you turn to like in our drinking days, it was the drink that we turned to when life was going bad, we got bad news, something happened, we would turn to that drink. Now in, in your sobriety and your recovery, what is what is something that you turn to to help you through those challenging times? I have to drop to my knees and pray. And the, the ironic thing about that is why I always let that be the last thing that happens sometimes. Like I'm, I'm still not good at making it the first thing because I you know, I'm in the flesh and I'm living in this world and I feel like there's someone I can call. There's some journaling I can do. There's a YouTube video I can watch. There's a podcast I can listen to. Falling to my knees and praying while journaling. And I've started to get really good at it and get a lot of practice. Again, now I, I worship. You know, the interesting thing is when I first got sober, even though I went to that church, I didn't all of a sudden be like, God, I'm yours forever. I still had like my doubts and all that stuff, right. but I started listening to Christian music every single day, not because I was trying to serve the Lord, but because I knew that they wouldn't say anything about drinking in the songs. Yes. <laughs> so I was just trying to have positive yes. all around me. Yes. But what exercise really helped me get close with the Lord? Just about every day I open up a journal and I write, Dear God, and I write my prayers because still to this day, I struggle with knowing if God hears my prayers or if they're being listened to or if he has a bigger plan for me. So I mix journaling, which helps me in my recovery, with talking to God. And I, I just write it out. And what that's been what that's done for me is I can look back to six months sober and I can see all the stuff that I wrote and I start to learn that God was listening yeah. to my prayers yeah, and things yeah, yeah. did happen and all those sad horrible things that happened were an answer to my prayers right right so there's that it's God and for the people listening to this show that aren't believers and I've sponsored women who aren't believers I never want anybody to let the the thought that oh my gosh like i can't be a bible thumper so i can't get sober right. like go through the through their mind i'm all about finding a way to figure out what your higher power is and god will work through anyone or anything or any environment right sometimes as you say there's a lot of crazy i'm using yeah. air quotes christians out there and it's sad that there are christians who do feel like they're trying their best, but they're pushing people away. Yeah. They're, that lost sheep is staying lost because they get pushed away from these Christians who are like, it's just like people in the AA program, right? That are like, this is my idea of it, and this is how it goes, and I'm going to control it, and I'm going to shame you if you don't follow the right, rules. Right, right. So my goal in life, like today, when I wake up in the morning, it's not to make our company an extra million dollars a year that just happens on its own if I live in recovery and follow God. My goal when I wake up every morning is for people to see me as a real Christian and want what I have. There you go. You know, I I, I used to preach a sermon in prison called I'll Have What He's Having. Mm. And I took it from I, I was always the person at the bar that was the most fun. And so 
So people would always go up to the bartender and say, what are you drinking? They're like, I'll have what Jay's having. <laughs> and so I want to be that Christian that people look at me and go, I'll have what he's drinking. Yes. You know, and like I told you earlier, you know, the book I'm writing and, and my whole motto is when I was in solitary confinement and I was asking God to take away the desire to, to drink, to drink, he's like, I'm going to take your desire away to drink Jack Daniels. Cause that was my, that was, I even got him tattooed on my shoulder. I was all in. Wow. <laughs> um, and the five DWIs proved that I was all in. So, but he said, I'm going to take away your desire to drink Jack Daniels because I'm not going to take away your desire to drink. And that was important to me because I feel like I want to get that same high, that same buzz, that same feeling. I liked the way Jack Daniels made me feel. I'm not going to lie. When I was in that, solitary confinement cell. And I said, God, I understand what you want to do in my life. I understand what you want me to do for you and your kingdom. But there's nothing inside my natural body that wants to stop drinking Jack Daniels. That's how I felt. I feel that. And I said, you're going to have to do something inside me that I can't help you with. Now, God loves to partner with us. He loves to walk through stuff with us. But I needed him to do it all at that point. I said, I can't do anything because when it doesn't compute, I enjoyed Jack Daniels so much. I drank it for the the pleasure, the way it tasted. I loved it. So I woke up the next day and I used to make fun of people. Weird. Those weird Christians that talked about deliverance. I used to make fun of them and, and they'd say, I've been delivered of something. And I'd be like, no, you just finally got some discipline in your life. I woke up the next day and there was something different about the way I thought, talked about, looked at Jack Daniels. I was, I was delivered from that point on. I knew, I knew that that had happened. Deliverance had happened. Now I can still make a choice to go drink if I want and undo what God did in me. People do that all the time, but I didn't want to do it. You know, my, uh, my, my no muscle has gotten really strong. My resistance muscle has gotten really strong and people just, people ask how, how is it hard to say no? Well, if you say it enough, it gets easier, Mm -hmm. you know, yes and no are muscles. The more you say them, the stronger that muscle gets. The whatever you say yes to, you're building that yes muscle up. Whatever you say no to, you're building that muscle up. And but I like to tell people I still get drunk. I just switch bartenders because you know there's all kinds of worship songs about. There are worship songs about drinking, about drinking in His Word, drinking in the Holy Spirit, drinking, you know, and so the milk. <laughs> yes, yes. So um, all right, man, what a, what a great story. Now just to go back on what you said because I'm genuinely. Uh, interested so i have said to people many times that it feels like god went inside my heart and my mind one night when i was sleeping and like did surgery yeah, and yeah. changed it so Absolutely. i feel you on how you woke up and you were all of a sudden like delivered i will tell you that i still am very much so tempted by oh, alcohol yeah. you said just jack daniels so is it like Paul with the thorn in his side where you're always relying on God because he may have taken away Jack Daniels from you because that was your kryptonite. But do you still have the urges for other substances? Yes. And I've had to go on a few recovery journeys from that. Um, Anger. Anger was one of them. Um, Not not a substance, but an emotion. I think cigarettes was one of them. And cigarettes, I had to go through the same process with cigarettes. Uh, You know, I tell people all the time, I'm not saying that if you're smoking, you're not going to heaven. I'm just saying for me, 
it was one of those things that I wasn't willing to give up to God. It was it was almost as I enjoyed doing both of those, smoking cigarettes and drinking Jack Daniels. Mm-hmm. And he and he did the same thing with me with cigarettes. But what what's interesting though is that next day in solitary confinement, when I felt that, I said, I don't know what you did, but thank you. Then I felt like he said, Now you work on your gambling and your cussing. And right then I cussed. And I said, I wish I'd asked for all of them to be taken away because it was about a three to four month process. And it's hard to quit gambling and cussing in prison because that's the currency and the language of prison is gambling and cussing and profanity. So so it was weird when I would tell people in prison who maybe weren't saved or whatever that I'm trying to quit cussing. And, and the way the way God wanted me to do it was a process. He goes, you got to trust the process. And I said, all right, well, what is the process? He said, when you when you say a profanity in front of somebody, you need to stop and say, look, I'm sorry for cussing in front of you. I'm trying to quit. Will you forgive me? And I'm like, I'm not going to say that in prison to somebody. <laughs> I'm going to look, I'm going to be looked at so weird. And he said, do you trust the process? And he was trying to work on my pride as well. Because mm-hmm. I hate telling people I'm wrong and that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sorry. And and I said, all right, I trust the process. So I started doing that. And, man, I got the funniest looks. I started getting called names. And it helped me to quit a lot quicker <laughs> because I didn't want to go through that. And uh, the gambling, same way. But what after about three or four months, because when I went into solitary confinement, it was September 18, 2003, right at the beginning of football season. I had bets already before I went in. Mm-hmm. So when I get out, I'm supposed to tell these inmates in prison that I made bets with that I'm not gambling anymore. And you can't cancel bets like that in oh, prison. No. <laughs> so Tell me you didn't. It was a process. Okay, uh-huh. It was a process. Ah, you're there not some, trying to get killed. There was some relapsing <laughs> there uh, on the gambling part. But, you know, it, it was tough. But at the end of three or four months, which was about the length of the football season, I no longer cussed at that point, and I no longer gambled on, you know, made bets and all that. So what the Lord showed me was sometimes he will deliver something, deliver you out of something. But most of the time, he wants to partner with us and walk a journey with us. So when I when somebody looks at me and goes, I've asked God to take it away, I've asked God, to del- I've asked God that, and he hasn't, I'm like, then that means he still sees something in you that has the power to walk through this with him on a journey of freedom and deliverance. And so, so that's, um, so that that's really great nugget for the listeners today. If you feel like God isn't removing a feeling or an addiction or a desire away from you, maybe or a thorn or a thorn or a in the thorn, side, maybe God is calling you to say, Hey, walk with me instead of, Hey God, take the, take the torch and walk for me. Right. Yep. God is calling you to walk with him right now. So, so in your, in the past couple of years, has there been an individual or a group of people that has inspired you the most in your journey? Oh, that is a great question. You know, and you talked to me about it when you first walked in here today. I won't name any names of the the people that we were talking about, but I did used to worship people. And I worshiped people who had a lot of money, Period. End it there. Not had a lot of money and was happy. Had a lot of money and was beautiful. Just had money. I worshipped money. Because to me, that that literally was my currency of this means I made it. As a former meth addict who felt like the black sheep of her family, the more money I have, the more proof that I'm okay. 
so now people who inspire me are people who are humble and who give it all up to the Lord. And even, even if they aren't believers, people who genuinely seem like they want to learn from everyone they encounter. I had a really bad pride, greed, and ego issue. And I have to work hard every single day to stay in the mindset of having empathy for others. I know that sounds right. funny. No, I have a second chance staffing agency, but I struggle with <laughs> empathy. Like, what the heck? What am I doing in this seat? You know? Uh, but it's because I grew up in an environment that was based on denial and avoidance and push through and pull up your big girl panties and figure it out, figure it out, you know, push through, you got this, whatever. Like I, I didn't, I was not raised in an environment that was, Hey, let's talk about our emotions and process this. You know, it's either you're good or you're bad, get it together. And I don't, I don't blame anybody in my family for that. We're a family of very successful people that have done really great things and serve a lot of people. But I now that I've had to walk the journey of recovery and I've seen the other side of it, I'm like, wow, I never really understood why I felt the way I felt. And instead, I used pride and ego or anger or whatever as coping mechanisms. So the people who really inspire me, man, they're the people that show up as their true selves. And I can tell that they're showing up as their true selves. And the people that truly don't care what other people think, not in a prideful way, not in a way that's like, oh, my haters, not like that. Like the people who truly believe they have no haters and truly do pray for their enemies. And in fact, they probably would never even call them an enemy. Yeah. Right. So, you know, seeing very powerful now a powerful woman to me isn't a billionaire that invented a product. It's the woman who's showing up, even if she only has 10 followers, speaking about her journey to everyone and being vulnerable. Those are the people. And I can't even name, I can't just tell you like, these are the names of them because the people that I look up to. So it's more of a category of people than a specific person. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. You know, and I, I really... I, I love the women who, like Sarah Jakes Roberts, who's empowering other women with her message and, and serving the Lord, and um, uh, Jenny Allen, yes. who who is, you know, I really, that's somebody that if I could fast forward, in fact, if I could fast forward and see my life in 20 years, that's who I want to be. I want to foster, I want to adopt, I want to preach the word. I don't want to stand up and be a preacher or anything. I don't know if I could, I don't know if I want that pressure. Right. But what I love about her is she doesn't avoid or deny the fact that we have mental illness and anxiety. Like we, we were here on earth and it's the worldly problems that we deal with. Right. And she doesn't say, just pray it away and don't go to counseling. Right. So people like her just really inspire me. And, and now it's the flip side. The people who have a lot of money and never talk about their feelings or always show off how much they have. Like, I, wanted, I won't touch them with a 10-foot pole. That's so awesome. it's just, you know, it's weird. You know, For me, every single thing that I thought that I loved 
every feeling that I had, everything that I was four years ago, two years ago even, is the opposite. So how are you running Cornbread Hustle differently today than you were before December 2018? I'm embarrassed of how I used to run this company. Um, How I ran it before was spending a lot of money on events to show off how successful we were when we weren't. Wanting people to become successful so it could make me look good. Not spending time understanding somebody's problems and listening to them and giving them my full attention because I just wanted to throw money at their problem Mm. or a connection. Now, first of all, we don't really... Well, of course, with COVID, we don't have events. If I were to have an event today, I wouldn't spend $10,000 on decor and fancy stuff. In fact, I would know that we don't even need that. We just need a bunch of people to come together and share stories. Now, of course, if we get great sponsorships, go ahead, pay for it. Let's go all out, (laughs) right? But I'm not going to put it on a credit card because I care about what people think of me. Today, I have a nice office that I finally just decorated because I, and I bought these expensive chairs because I want my hustlers to come in and feel comfortable when they sit down and talk to me about their problems. I have a coffee machine now in my office so they can pour themselves a cup of coffee so I have the time and they have something warm to to warm their spirits like while they're speaking with me. I have a bookshelf now with a ton of books so I'm ready at any given moment to hand a book to somebody that's in here who Mm. needs more guidance. We have Bible studies now. I do a weekly AA meeting now. Now we truly have the resources for our employees. And I'm not, you got to think, remember, I told you I used to worship money. Yeah. That meant success. So how do you think I led my employees? I threw a job or money at any problem and I thought that'll fix them, you know, but now the job and money and anything that has to do with monetary success, that follows what we begin with. Yeah. Which is... Do you want a different life? Let's work on the core of your... I couldn't help people work on the core of their issues because I didn't work on my own. So I heard you say weekly AA meeting. And um, and what else do you... That's unusual for a staffing agency. So (laughs) what what other things does Cornbread Hustle do that separates them from the regular staffing agency? Yeah, so I would say the first thing is we bring people out of jail every day to go to work. So that's interesting. So that's you have a you you are an official like work release program somewhere or we are we with, are with who what county? it's the Volunteers of America the VOA yeah yeah okay the federal then, the federal transitional house yep yep and then there's um is that one off of there's two of them that we're working with okay two of them and they get on a bus and they go to work and then they get on a bus and go back to jail that's awesome um which it is technically a halfway house but it's jail oh if yeah you've been. oh no uh, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> if me, you've I been know. there it's jail at least i don't know the one in hutchins but i've been to the one in fort worth and it's oh it's the same thing the oh. doors uh, yep. snap you know like open and close yep. and it's the metal but it's everything gray neutral walls it's it's prison it's jail it's prison yes so. it's prison so um yeah we do that and then we have workshops we were having them weekly until covid hit but we still have a lot of them, especially at our employer job site. If we have 50 people working at a job site, then we'll go ahead and organize a weekly or quarterly or monthly workshop. And we don't, one thing that's different from us and a lot of organizations and reentry 
is we're not just here to say, you need this and here's how we're going to help you. We really do want to hang out with you. We want right. to build a community. So we'll have fun workshops that are have no win for us in it. Like, let's bring in a really successful entrepreneur to come in and talk about how to become an entrepreneur. Obviously, we don't want our employees to quit and go become entrepreneurs. Right. That yeah. Well, we do, actually. We you, do want that, do. but it doesn't make sense for a staff. Right. Nothing makes sense on how exactly. we operate. Exactly. So we, we want to do life with our employees. We really do. And I think a lot of that stems from a lot of us here at Cornbread Hustle, which is a big different. This is the most different thing about us and other staffing agencies. All of our recruiters spent at least five years in prison or in addiction and have had radical change. And as you can see with me being a faker for a while, I can spot it. Oh yeah. I know if somebody has changed or not from the inside out. So if you can imagine, when I started Cornbread Hustle, I I hired a lot of people that were just like me, and that didn't go very well. (laughs) I attracted the fakers. Um, So we have our entire staff are just like me who have had that radical transformation, and we are doing the, the interviews and the drug tests and the background checks, and we're working with the employers to send them people who are just like us, who have had real radical That is so good because you attract, you basically attract who you are. Yeah. You know, you're just going to attract more of who you are. And if you don't like who who's around you, take a look inside, see, see who you are it's because, so true. you know, so that's, that's, uh, that's really, okay. So if I'm not a felon, if I haven't done time in prison, I've never been addicted to anything. Can cornbread hustle still find me a job? Yes, we can. And you know, addiction, depression, anxiety, none of that discriminates. We just all haven't been caught and received a felony. I will say that we, so we do have a lot of people join in on our workshops that have none of those issues. They just want community. And, you know, as you know, running a halfway house, like sometimes people are just curious and and want to serve and want to give back. Um, But I will tell you every single time we had someone walk through these doors and they have no criminal record, but they want a job. It doesn't work out. (laughs) (laughs) We always say yes. We'll give you a job. But, you know, I have yet to find a success story of someone that came in here and said, I have no criminal record. Nothing bad happened. I just happen to be a person that wants a job and I can't find a job. I have yet to find it. Um, And I don't know if that's because they walk through these doors and they feel like this is just um, a lily pad until they find something that they think that they're worthy of or if they think they're too good for these jobs. I don't know what it is. All I know is it hasn't worked out yet, but we say yes every time someone shows up. And it's usually they don't even show up to the first day of work. I'm like, why did you even waste your own time? <laughs> I, I don't get those people uh, that, that, that want a job and then don't show up for the first day at work. So what is the most rewarding thing about what you do? I think the most rewarding thing is seeing, seeing the generational change. The ripple effect. So giving that guy who just got out of prison a job and they, so all of our companies are billion dollar publicly traded companies. That's super cool. And they all give benefits. They all, it's, it's total, like some of our companies even give stock in the company. Wow. So you can literally come out of prison and within three months have full benefits, own stock in the company you're working for 
and you have no ceilings. You can become a manager or supervisor and you can make up to six figures. You literally can go from $10 an hour to six figures working at Cornbread Hustle. So I think, I don't think, I know the most inspirational thing that we see is when somebody comes out of prison, they have low hopes. They still have a lot of those issues where they think everyone's out to get them and yeah. why are we wanting to help them? There must be something in it for us. Yep. But seeing them one year later have all those benefits and be the father to their kids that their kids need. Our, our guys even get houses. Yeah. And a lot of, and you definitely probably know this, but the main self-doubt that I deal with with our men coming in here they feel like they're unworthy until they get a dang house yeah which is not true but man they feel like they can't even call their son and reconnect with their son till they have a house and some of them are that way about the car too the car too mm-hmm just seeing these men step up and be the the dad that their kids need that's the best part because the children are the victim yeah, and the children will become the dad, a cycle. The cycle will, they're five times more likely to get arrested. The, the son or daughter yep. of a convicted felon, right? So it's the generational change. And the thought that cornbread hustle has a shot at causing a ripple effect yeah. across the United States yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah. Okay. So I have two more questions left. One is, what are some books you have read that are currently reading that you recommend anybody in recovery or just anybody in general uh, needs to read? So the first book that I'll probably go to my grave with um, telling people to read is the book that got me on the journey to sobriety. I failed to mention at the beginning of our podcast that it took me a year of thinking about getting sober before I decided um, I had already even gotten a DWI as the founder of this company. I got a DWI, was on probation, had the breathalyzer in my car, was still drinking around the breathalyzer, still violating my probation while I'm running this company. Wow. And I knew I needed to stop drinking. I couldn't justify quitting because I thought alcohol is what was keeping... I was self-medicating for right. anxiety. Yeah. I read a book called Control Alcohol, which makes me laugh because... That's how bad I wanted to control it. It wasn't quit alcohol. I would have right. never read that. You just wanted to be a functional alcoholic. I just wanted to drink <laughs> like a lady. And in that book, she never calls herself an alcoholic. She, now if I read it today, I would probably be like, come on, girl, just say it. <laughs> you know, you're an alcoholic. But what I really enjoyed about that book is as somebody who wasn't ready to say I'm an alcoholic, I was able to read the book as a woman who's just like, here's why I quit and here's why it's good for you. And this is all the calories and all the money. And so it made me really get on that thought process of quitting. The other book, which I'm currently reading now, um, The Power of a Praying Woman. I love that because as I continue to struggle with having a everyday relationship with God and praying, I'm great at the worship now. I can worship all day, every day. But the the intimate relationship of prayer and sometimes sometimes I get mad because I'm like, I'm praying to you every day. Why aren't you helping me? Yeah. Oh, I guess because you're going to do whatever you want anyway. Romans 8, 28 says that whatever you're going to do, you're going to do it. So the power of a praying woman and the last book that I'll talk about really helped me with the root issues of my drinking and that is called turn your love on by danny silk he is a christian 
And his book is so good describing the personalities of like passive aggressive people, aggressive people, just codependency, all that stuff. And it's almost talking about how to identify it in other people. You're like, oh, that's me, <laughs> yeah. you know? So those are the three books that I definitely recommend. And I love, I love anything by him. He's, it's amazing. So last question, um, what's, what's the future look like for Cornbread Hustle? I mean, Dallas, nationwide, you're going to have branches everywhere else. What, mm. what are, if there's any secrets you don't need to tell me, that's fine too. But are there, are there some things that people can be looking forward to? There are secrets and they have yet to be revealed to me. That's, you know, I've been asked this several times. I'm in the middle of this fast, you know, this prayer fast that I'm doing. And, and I'm hoping that this is the week that God reveals to me what's next. <laughs> as, as you probably know, we started a disinfecting company last year to keep up with COVID and to make sure that our business stayed afloat. That was definitely not in the plans. So... Cornbread Hustle, every single day we come into the office, we're like, wow, it's like we're going with the flow of God's plan. We have massive opportunity to go nationwide tomorrow if we wanted. We have all of our companies, like I said, are nationwide, billion dollar companies. They have facilities in every state, but we have chosen not to try to expand until we get deeply rooted in Dallas and what we're trying to do. You know, of all people running the houses that you run, you can't just find somebody's great resume in another state off the internet and hope that they've had that radical transformation. Right. You'll fly out to Tennessee and be like, oh man, it turned into a trap house. Yep. You know? And I know you've thought about it because you have former prison mentality the the work that we could do in the drug world with the network that yes. we have today, yes. all it takes is a flip of a mental switch. So knowing that and understanding that, I know that it could kill Cornbread Hustle and destroy our brand by expanding too fast. While at the same time, I know that there's some internal struggles I need to let go of, which is letting go of a little bit of control because there are people and there are companies and it's not like there isn't, any opportunity. I have the opportunity to place hundreds of thousands of people across the nation. And because of my own fears, we haven't stepped into that. So I'm transparent enough to tell you on this podcast that I do not know what the next step is. I do know that I haven't been stepping into our full potential because of fear. And my prayer is, you know, in front of God and everybody on this podcast is that it is revealed to me what is next. Well, we're going to all join our faith with yours and agree with you and uh, to, to make sure that that next, phase, that next phase happens when it's supposed to happen and how it's supposed to happen. And uh, with you uh, going forward in Godfidence, Godfidence, Godfidence mm-hmm. um, to, know, to know who you are in Him. So, well, we're excited about that. Um, the other thing I'm excited about is the fact that my birthday is January 21st, and so is yours. Yes. But you're like 20, and I'm, I'll be 50. Uh, so, add another 10 years. Uh, <laughs> 14 years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we share a birthday with uh, the great golfer, Jack Nicklaus. Didn't oh, know okay. if you knew that. No, I didn't. I've known that all my life. My mom and dad thought that they should have gotten me golf clubs because I was born on that day. So this this podcast will air on Friday, January 22nd. So happy birthday yesterday. And guess what we'll be doing on Friday, uh, January 22nd? 
in separate places, but I guarantee both you and me are going to be eating some good food. Yes, we are, because that'll be the end of our 21-day fast. <laughs> so, uh, Cherry, this has been an honor. Uh, you know, everywhere I go, even when I went down to see my brother who was working at a news uh, TV uh, place in Waco, uh, some producer named Charlie said he, hey, have you ever heard of Cherry Garcia? I'm like, yes, I have. Charlie so, called him in yeah, a Yeah, yeah, so... So uh, people know you from everywhere, and they Aww. they always speak highly of you. That's very it's surprising. And so and sweet. you know, I I know a lot of people that had the opportunity to speak not so highly of me, and there was a time in my life where you couldn't speak highly of me at all. And so uh, I enjoy when people when people speak highly of me, and, and I enjoy hearing people speak highly of you. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm so proud of you. I know I've, I've got to experience some of your journey mm-hmm. with you mm-hmm. uh, from a distance, but yes. still knowing who you are and what you're going through. You were smart enough to keep me at a distance. <laughs> you know, you just touched on something. The The most amazing feeling isn't just when people speak highly of you, but when people who had a reason not to start to speak yeah. highly of you. Absolutely. You told me somebody you were talking with the other day spoke highly of me that was a person that used to say nothing but horrible things about me probably because of my horrible behavior and I'm still like doing a little tap dance in my head that you told me that that person spoke highly of me I'm like holy cow he did are you sure the same person we're thinking of (laughs) um so that that is transformation yeah when people you've wronged start to say good things about you yeah Thanks again for coming on the show and being so vulnerably open, transparent, and telling us your story. And uh, so what all social media are you on that people can follow you on? I'm everywhere. I know you're on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is where I do most of my videos. Um, So just look Sherry Garcia, C-H-E-R-I Garcia, like the ice cream. And Instagram, Luminous underscore sherry and luminous was your old business it was I mean, my first first business, business. Tan- it, it is the business that got me off meth so i can't be mad at it yeah. but again i was pouring into success and um achievements instead of my yeah. own recovery but yeah. yes luminous envy was my first invention in business um so if people yeah. want to know more about you you have your own website right i do okay. sherrygarcia.com okay i and, just got it and made I, and i'm going to put all these links on the show notes on our show page and so people can can connect that way too um but if they want to know more about cornbread hustle or they need a job or they have a loved one getting out of prison or whatever then they just go to cornbreadhustle.com. You got it, man. I need to hire you as a part-time marketer. So we'll have pictures on there of you and links and everything else. Um, You're in high demand now as a speaker. So uh, it's really exciting to watch you get invited in places you go. So just like, I mean, I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old. And so the book, Oh, the Places You'll Go, it's still uh, hot on my mind. And so um, I think about that book when, when I think about you and your mm-hmm. life, because you're you're going places, so well, I'm very so proud much. of you. One thing, one question: How can? What's the main thing? I think maybe you already touched on a little bit. How can my listeners be praying for you in Cornbread Hustle? Ooh, you said something different than most podcasters. Most, actually, all podcasters usually say, "What can my listeners do for you?" But you said, "How can they pray for me?" I love that. Yeah, let's give it to God. Hmm. 
Um, wisdom and discernment and for my sobriety that I can continue this journey and stay sober because without sobriety or, uh, and pray for my relationship with God because yeah. without God and sobriety, I'm not going to make it. So it's good. That's how y'all can help. And Please if somebody does me. want to partner with you, they can, they can connect on Cornbread yes. Hustle too, right? Yes. All right. It's been a pleasure. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. So I know if I keep saying this was one of my favorite episodes, you're probably not going to believe me anymore. But this really was one of my funnest episodes. I think because I've known her for a few years and I saw her when she was still kind of struggling in her addiction. And then to know her, what, how far she's come and to know what she's accomplished since then. You know, it takes a lot of... Um, a lot of courage to understand the depths of your addiction and how it affects you and everyone around you. And for her to know that a little over two years ago, she needed to change some things in her life so that it didn't just benefit her, it benefited everybody that she was trying to help. You know, and she wasn't a bad person, you know, two, three, four years ago. She wasn't a bad person at all. But she allowed her addiction to hold her back in her ability to help others. And when she decided to give herself the gift of sobriety, that's what I love that part is when you give yourself a gift that valuable, the ripple effect, like she said, the legacy effect of touching people's lives is, um, is, is, is incredible. Listen, uh, go visit her on the website, sherrygarcia.com. Check out Cornbread Hustle. Uh, I, I really don't have a whole lot to say other than it's a great story. If you're struggling with addiction, don't give up hope. Go to church on, on a New Year's Eve if you have to. <laughs> Go to church, period. You know, and, and it's not about going to church. It's just about putting yourself in a position to find God. When you put yourself in a position to find God, whether it's in a church that you may or may not be in the next week, whether it's um, uh, putting a Bible in front of you and pointing to a scripture verse with your eyes closed, when you put yourself in a position to find God or something that you know is stronger than yourself, a supernatural being, uh, then, then you give yourself the best chance. Because we can't do this alone. We need each other, and we can't do it without God. And I just I admire Sherry for for her courage to see that she needed to make some changes in her life so that she could help the people she was helping to a much better extent. So um, go check her story out. Uh, we thank, thank you, Sherry, for coming on the show. And thank you for listening. Check out Forgiven Felons. Share the story. Give us a rating on Apple. If you listen to us on Apple, give us a rating and review. Tell us what you thought about uh, this episode and maybe the podcast in general. But help us spread the word. All right. Thanks again for listening. And we'll see you next week on Background Check Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Background Check Podcast. Brought to you by Forgiven Felons. Helping people with the past realize their future. For more information, please visit ForgivenFelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook. And please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm J.D. Gum, and this has been Background Check.